Welcome to Barely Audible Whisper, a weekly NPR parody podcast in no way associated with NPR, brought to you in no part by the following parody sponsors. Michael Bloomberg. For the $400 million he spent to win the primary in American Samoa, he could have just bought American Samoa. The entire economy of American Samoa, not worth the $400 million Michael Bloomberg spent to win our primary. And the Not Liking Michael Bloomberg Gig Economy Freelancers Association. Michael Bloomberg just spent $400 million to find out people didn't like him. We would have told him we didn't like him for 50 bucks a piece. I am Dave. And I am Molly. And if our voices were any smaller, they'd be the number of delegates Michael Bloomberg bought for $400 million. Our top story this week. The coronavirus continues to cause worldwide concern as governments all over the world take serious precautions to try and stop the spread of the deadly virus. Except in America, where our coronavirus task force is being headed up by Vice President Mike Pence, a religious fundamentalist who has a history of rejecting science. Mr. Vice President, the airborne coronavirus is likely to reach pandemic proportions. We must take preventative measures, including massive testing and immediate quarantine of known cases. Additionally, we must prepare contingency plans to reduce the possibility of contamination. This is no time for your superstitious gobbledygook. We need sustained thoughts and prayers. I want every known heathen struck by God with this disease, sprinkled with holy water, and subjected to mandatory repentance. With all due respect, Mr. Vice President, I've studied every pandemic since the bubonic plague. I've also studied the response to the plague in the Dark Ages. People would whip themselves in public to punish themselves for their sins so that God would not punish them with plague. I'm not gay. I'm going to need a punishing whip to punish myself for the sin of enjoying my pleasure whip because I can't use my pleasure whip to punish myself for enjoying my pleasure whip. That's science. Penis. Um. Given that a man who rejects science is heading up the scientific task force charged with responding to a pandemic, you'd think the least the administration could do to alleviate public panic would be to convey information in an open and transparent manner. But you'd be wrong. Last week, the day after the administration reluctantly agreed to provide daily press briefings to update the public on the coronavirus, the administration disallowed any audio or video to be used during their briefing. The transparent and open communication of information is vital to the public interest. Therefore, there can be no public record of any information communicated. And while we long for cameras to show us Mike Pence's press briefings, there were cameras at President Trump's public health meeting showing us something we wish we hadn't seen. As always, our Trump impersonator is a woman, because we hear he hates that. We will have a vaccine for the Kokomo virus in a very short period of time. No, Mr. President, we won't have a vaccine for at least a year to 18 months. But the koala virus is like the flu, and we have a vaccine for the flu. So the flu vaccine is just like the cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs virus. That is not even a little bit true. But I'm the president, and I can do whatever I want, and I want that to be true. So I hereby declare that it's true. Mr. President, please stop saying words. Unfortunately, the president did not stop saying words. I have a hunch that the real Kool-Aid virus death rate is not 3%, but is really closer to less than 1% 
of 1%, which is less than zero. And even more words. The I am the walrus, cuckoo-cuchoo virus is because Obama. The Obama administration did this really bad thing that slowed down testing, but I fixed it because nobody makes better testing decisions than Trump, which is why you can't see my test scores. Apparently, Trump was referring to an Obama-era regulation that required private laboratories to get FDA approval in order to develop clinical tests. But experts on lab testing said they were unaware of any Obama-era rule that would have prevented the administration from authorizing emergency coronavirus tests. President Trump was referring to an Obama-era regulation that made it harder to distinguish punishment whips from pleasure whips. But thanks to President Trump's bold leadership, self-flagellators can flagellate themselves with renewed confidence that they are using the correct whip. Meanwhile, in San Antonio, a woman who was quarantined after having tested positive for coronavirus was released after two tests came back negative. That's great news! Which sounds like great news, but the results of her third test didn't come back until after she was released. I wonder whatever happened with that third test. Who cares? I'm gonna go stay at a hotel and visit a crowded shopping mall. The third test came back positive. Hey, where's that woman who had two negative coronavirus tests, but we were waiting on the results of the third test? Oh, uh, so she wanted to go to a crowded shopping mall, so I let her go. Well, what was the point of the third test if you just let her go before the results came back? I don't know. I just like to administer tests. The third test came back positive. Oops. And just to make it absolutely clear that our government is not taking this seriously at all, Republican Congressman Matt Gaetz showed up on the House floor for the vote on coronavirus funding, wearing a gas mask as some sort of sick and wholly inappropriate joke. <laughs> it's funny because I didn't get validation as a child. In an interview with Variety magazine, actor Antonio Sabado Jr. claims that he has been blacklisted from working in Hollywood because of his pro-Trump political views. Begging the question, who the hell is Antonio Sabado Jr.? He was a soap opera actor in the 90s. That doesn't help. He was an underwear model, and then he did the Janet Jackson video, and some soaps like General Hospital and Melrose Place, and a handful of straight video movies nobody ever saw. Still not helping. He was a good-looking bad actor whose looks were never quite as good as his acting was bad. Well, whoever the hell he is, he's doing the next segment. It is I, Antonio Sabato Jr., star of such contemporary classics as Shark Hunter and Celebrity Circus. But alas, I, Antonio Sabato, am a C-list celebrity no more. For I, Antonio Sabato, have been blacklisted. <gasps> no, not blacklisted. Yes, blacklisted. Oh. Didn't they stop doing that in the 50s? I, Antonio Sabato, once believed that too. But then I... Antonio Sabato spoke out in favor of Donald Trump. 
and in multiple television interviews, I, Antonio Sabato, accused Barack Hussein Obama of being a secret Muslim. Oh, God. You're one of those. And then I, Antonio Sabato, one of those was blacklisted. No, not blacklisted. Sorry, let me try that again. Blacklisting is wrong, even if it is against pro-Trump bigots. <clears throat> no, not blacklisted! There can be no other explanation! Why must the tragic injustice of blacklisting return? Are you sure you're being blacklisted? Is it possible that you stopped getting acting work because you're a terrible actor? I, Antonio Sabato, a terrible actor. Ha 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 ha. I, Antonio Sabato, laugh in the face of such ridiculous accusation. Like that, right there, for example. That was horrible. Was I, Antonio Sabato, horrible on General Hospital? Yes. Or Melrose Place? Absolutely. Or Shark Hunter? I've never even heard of Shark Hunter, but I can say without fear of contradiction that you were terrible in it. Impossible! I, Antonio Sabato, whose IMDb page boasts a starring role in something called testosterone, am being persecuted for supporting Donald Trump. How else do you explain all of my, Antonio Sabato's, acting role suddenly drying up? You suck as an actor. <gasps> and all of your roles were based on the superficial beauty you're too old to hold on to. No! I, Santonio Sabato, will always possess the beauty of Antonio Sabato. You're still handsome, but you're not shirtless poster on a teenage girl's bedroom wall hot anymore. But losing your career when you look fade is something that's only supposed to happen to chicks. So you were cool with it when it was something that only happened to women? Of course! I, Antonio Sabato, believe in traditional gender roles. Traditionally, men and women have been exploited for a profit and then abandoned by Hollywood since it began. No! Not liberal Hollywood! How dare you accuse the leftist communist Hollywood that blacklisted I, Antonio Sabato, for being a conservative, of being a profit-driven, worker-exploiting, capitalist industry! So-called liberal Hollywood is actually a cesspool of greedy Republican values, using people to make massive profits, and then leaving them in the cold when they're no longer profitable. Then why would they blacklist me, Antonio Sabato? Because you're no longer profitable. So I, Antonio Sabato, am not a victim of liberal Hollywood. I, Antonio Sabato, am in fact a victim of conservative Hollywood. In the tiny space of two days between South Carolina's primary and Super Tuesday, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar dropped out of the race and threw their support behind Joe Biden. 
We sent reporter Tally Delegates to find out why this moment was the right time for both to exit the race. Mayor Buttigieg, Senator Klobuchar, thank you for meeting with me. I assumed that after Super Tuesday, we'd be left with just two candidates, maybe two real candidates and one delusional billionaire. But you dropped out right before Super Tuesday. Why? The most important thing is to defeat Donald Trump. And while for months I've been saying I am the one to do that, I suddenly decided I'm not. And why is that? Because people don't like me as much as they like Trump. Fine, but Mayor Buttigieg, a lot of people liked you. You stood out as a viable alternative to the old guard Democrats while still being fairly moderate. Your campaign had some momentum. A year ago, we did a sketch about how your candidacy was even more absurd than your name was unpronounceable. But now, we can all pronounce your name, and you were third in delicate count. What made you think this was over for you? Thank you for that question. I'm proud of our campaign and what we accomplished. After two states had voted, we were in first place. After three, we were in second. After four, we were in third. We realized that at this rate, by the time all 50 states had voted, we'd be in 49th place. You're a smart man, Pete. So I'm sure you know that's absurd. Why was South Carolina different? I thought we had done and said the right things to get black voters to like me. The black people closest to me like me a lot. But in South Carolina, it became clear that they do not like me. But does South Carolina matter for either of you? It's a very deep red state. Democrats have no chance of winning those electoral votes. For me, it was a wake-up call. For whatever reason, black voters aren't impressed by a scolding white lady from Minnesota. Or by this pure whiteness from a college town in Indiana. But that shouldn't have been surprising. You've both seen the polls for months. Yeah, I thought if I yelled at a billionaire enough, I might change their minds. And I believe that people can surprise you. Though now I realize how often they don't. Still, why not wait a few more days and see how Super Tuesday shakes out? You had both earned some delegates so far. Less than 4% of the pledged delegates have been decided. This was about unifying the moderate wing of the party. Yes. If I wasn't going to win, I wanted to throw my support behind the person who I thought was the best option to beat Donald Trump. But until this weekend, you thought that was you. Oh, no. I never did. Yeah, neither did I. You didn't? Then why run? No one wins their first time. Biden ran in 2008. Sanders ran in 16. It's about building name recognition. And when your name is Klobuchar, you need to really put that name out there. Try being a gay man whose name starts with butt. <laughs> I'm gearing up for my actual run in 2028. And I'm trying to get on the cabinet so that when I run for real, I have some actual experience. Well, there you go then. While I was following the story, a Bernie Sanders supporter threw himself into the conversation uninvited because that's what they do. What do they say? They admit the whole thing's a sham to prevent true progress from ever happening in America? Hashtag rigged primary. Rigged? They're terrified that Sanders will win the election and destroy the system that props them up. So they're teaming up to make sure the establishment wins. It's rigged. 
How is that rigged? They didn't want to split the moderate vote anymore, so they bowed out. Yet Elizabeth Warren refused to bow out before Super Tuesday. She needed to see how she'd do. Because she and her super PACs are part of it, too. Both Klobuchar and Buttigieg said they thought Biden had the best chance to win. So... So they admit it. Admit what? Having political strategy? This is all about making sure Bernie Sanders doesn't get to be president. Oh, Mr. Brothers, you absolute child. Yes, this was about beating Bernie. It was also about beating Warren and beating Bloomberg. Sometimes things are about more than one thing. No, no, you're either one thing or another. You're for Bernie or you're against him. If your ideology isn't pure by my standards, you're evil. There's only one way to fix this country, Bernie or bust. Hashtag rig pro- Uh-huh. It turns out that Bernie Bro was a Russian bot trying to sow division. That makes as much sense as anything. I'm Tally Delegates. Hang in there, America. A little over a month ago, President Trump announced a historic peace deal between Israel and Palestine that in reality yielded absolutely no results because he did not include Palestine in the so-called negotiations, which did nothing but produce a laundry list of things Israel wanted. As a part of his ongoing effort to never learn a lesson, President Trump did the same thing in Afghanistan. President Trump negotiated a deal with the Taliban without involving the Afghan government, in which he promised that the Afghan government would release 500 Taliban prisoners. President Trump touted the deal, which was rejected by the Afghan government, as a historic peace deal, because Trump's foreign policy is a terrible combination of a war film and Groundhog's Day. For more on the peace deal with the Taliban, which is already failing due to 30 Taliban-led attacks that killed at least 15 people and wounded 18 others, Barely Audible Whisper turns to our aged war correspondent, who was actually quite young when the war started. Hello, I'm an elderly Afghan war correspondent who was actually quite young when this war started. Back when this war started, three entire presidential administrations ago, there was no such thing as a podcast, and I owned what we used to call a flip phone. My, how the times have changed. Except in Afghanistan. Fake news. I negotiated the best peace deal in the history of peace deals. Even better than the best peace deal I negotiated with Israel. As always, our Trump impersonator is still a woman. Because we hear he still hates that. So, I should win the most noblest Nobel Peace Prize in the history of noblest Nobel Peace Prizes. Back in my younger days, when this war started, a peace treaty was negotiated by all of the parties involved in the conflict. But these damn lazy, good-for-nothing baby boomers, who are older than me but somehow infinitely more childish, Want all the glory of the peace deal without doing any of the work. I negotiated with the Taliban, 
and only the Taliban and made a bunch of crazy promises on behalf of the Afghan government that the Afghan government would never agree to. Which is why I didn't invite the Afghan government. Now that's just plain irresponsible. What the hell? You can't just promise the release of 500 prisoners with an agreement to release thousands more on my behalf without telling me. That was Afghan President Ashraf Ghani, and he's madder at President Trump than Fraser Crane used to get at the Bulldog. Which was a topical reference back in my day. I was going to use those prisoners as leverage during the upcoming Oslo peace negotiations, not as a precondition. It's not smart to give away what you plan to use as leverage in a negotiation before the negotiation starts. You don't have to be a beautiful mind genius to understand that. Which again was a topical reference back in my day. I also agreed to a complete withdrawal of American troops on a 14-month timeline. What are you leaving me with? In my day, Republicans used to say that a timetable for troop withdrawal was the worst possible military strategy on account of the enemy would know when you were planning on leaving, so all they had to do is bide their time until you left. I wonder what Republicans have to say about a timetable for withdrawal now that Trump suggested it. To be fair, a handful of Republicans have criticized the stupidest parts of the peace deal, like the part where we simply trust the Taliban to dismantle their military cooperation with Al-Qaeda without any way of verifying that they uphold their end of the bargain. Seriously? You're going to trust the Taliban? Are you trying to get me killed? The Taliban told me very strongly that they would stop doing bad things, and I believe them, because I'm a terrible judge of character. Of course, the whole deal is kind of a moot point, since the Taliban launched 30 deadly attacks, killing at least 15 people, less than three days after the so-called peace agreement, which they cheated on worse than Barry Bonds. Again, a topical reference back in my day. Fake news. The Taliban didn't attack any American troops or any major cities, and they didn't use suicide bombers. So it's not really a violation of my greatest peace deal in the history of peace deals. That's seriously a Pentagon talking point. They're actually arguing that the 30 attacks weren't against American forces, weren't suicide bombers, and didn't take place in a major city, so they're somehow not technically a violation of the Taliban's agreement to curtail violence. Damn whippersnappers. Promises made, promises kept. In Trump's defense, this war has been going on for 19 years. And the endless war now, man. If we're ever going to get out, we're going to have to face the fact that chaos will inevitably ensue when we leave. You can't, like, win a war of attrition, man. Because the lesson of, like, Vietnam is that the occupied people will always be able to wait out the invading army. 
especially in Afghanistan, where they've, like, defeated every invading Western power since, like, Alexander the Great, man. In my day, stereotypical peacenik hippie burnout characters didn't make valid points. Anyway, if we're ever going to actually withdraw from Afghanistan, it's going to require a president with the political courage to accept the ensuing and unpopular chaos and admit defeat. Fake news. I single-handedly beat Afghanistan because Trump is Rambo. Unfortunately, President Trump is no such profile in courage. The moment things get bad for him politically, he will almost certainly reverse course. I will bomb Afghanistan and steal all of the rugs. And I never really pulled our troops out. I was only pretending to pull our troops out because it was a brilliant sneak attack. Because I am the greatest military strategist since Robert E. Lee, who won. Which is why there are so many statues of him. So many. For a barely audible whisper, I'm an elderly war correspondent who was actually quite young when this war started, saying, I'm going to die here. I need to turn this damn thing off. At least when I had a flip phone, I knew how to turn the damn thing off. You just flipped it! Things were simpler back then. What the hell is a podcast, anyway? Trumpa. Chris Matthews retired as the host of Hardball on MSNBC, where he perfected his legendary style of questioning his guests by never giving his guests the opportunity to answer his questions. How are you going to sell a federal gun buyback to the libertarian types afraid of government overreach? If you look and what about the fact that I used to work for Jimmy Carter and the rural working class voters who pay their taxes and follow the rules and believe in God and country and one time I saw Toby Keith live and he puts on a good show and I used to work for Jimmy Carter and did I mention that I used to work for Jimmy Carter? Like I was gonna say. I worked for Jimmy Carter and what happened to the Carter Democrats who go to church on Sundays and drink lemonade on the front porch while listening to Conway Twitty records and don't like fancy beer and my uncle once said that he thinks my wife is hot and maybe that was inappropriate but he's a roughneck gun owner rural type of guy and when I worked for Jimmy Carter we used to say always remind people that you used to work for Jimmy Carter. Was that a question? Quit dodging the question. This is Hardball, and on Hardball, we play Hardball, and I ask the tough questions, like pickup trucks and domestic beer, and I used to work for Jimmy Carter, and blue jeans, and 57 Chevys, and John Cougar Mellencamp songs, and little ditties about Jack and Diane, who I met when I worked for Jimmy Carter. It's a simple question. Yes or no? I honestly don't know what you're asking. They win, you lose. You're watching Hardball commercial break. Matthew's abrupt retirement comes at the end of a solid week's worth of really bad publicity, in which he compared Bernie Sanders' early primary success to the Nazi invasion of France. 
Bernie Sanders is like the Nazis invading France. And just to make sure I can't backtrack on this statement and claim that was just a bad analogy, I want to repeat, Bernie Sanders is Adolf Hitler. The Democrats are the cowardly French who surrendered to Hitler. All French people are cowards. All Democrats are French people. And there is literally no difference between Bernie Sanders and Adolf Hitler. Later that same week, Matthews insulted Elizabeth Warren, who he repeatedly interrupted, while he defended Michael Bloomberg against charges of sexual harassment. Are you calling Michael Bloomberg a liar? I believe the women who have no reason to lie. You know, Chris... I'm going to interrupt a woman while she's trying to stand up for sexually harassed women, which will look especially bad if a woman accuses me of sexual harassment later in the same week. Later in that same week, a woman came forward and accused Matthews of sexual harassment. I once worked for Jimmy Carter. You have a nice ass. Blue collar, overalls, trucker hats, look at my penis. The complaint stated that Matthews inappropriately commented on the female journalist's physical appearance and use of makeup, and once asked, quote, Why haven't I fallen in love with you yet? Which, given Matthews' proclivity for not letting people answer questions, we imagine went something like this. Why haven't I fallen in love with you yet? That's highly... What about your makeup? If you wore more makeup, I would have fallen in love with you. When I worked for Jimmy Carter, women wore more makeup. Working class, steel mills, union bosses. Do you believe in love at first sight, or should I turn around and walk back in again? Did it hurt when you fell from heaven? These aren't just creepy and unoriginal pickup lines. They're questions that require answers that I didn't give you time to provide, so I'm just going to assume you think this is charming and assume this won't ever come back to bite me in the ass. My uncle tried to bite my wife's ass once. VFW halls, poultry plants, tractor pulls. I used to work for Jimmy Carter. Boobs! While Matthew's retirement was not altogether unexpected, the ridiculously abrupt manner in which he chose to make his exit by literally announcing his retirement at the beginning of his live show and then leaving during the commercial break was shocking. Welcome to the last ever episode of Hardball. I quit. You're watching what used to be Hardball commercial. Upon returning from commercial, poor Steve Karnacki MSNBC's adorably nerdy political numbers analyst was thrown into the anchor chair like an adorably nerdy deer in headlights. I, um, <clears throat> I'm just trying to wrap my head around, uh, that was, wow. I just want to say that Chris Matthews was Chris Matthews, and, uh, uh, uh I'm sorry, is, is there any way that we can go to another commercial? Kornacki managed to pull himself together and get through the rest of the show until the end when he paid an emotional and teary-eyed tribute to Chris Matthews. Chris Matthews was, uh, like a father to me, because my father never let me talk, and one time I brought home a bad report card, and my father insisted that a bad report card was exactly the same as Adolf Hitler. (sighs) I'm so sorry. Chris Matthews once taught me how to talk to women, which is probably why I haven't been laid since I met Chris Matthews. But most importantly... I just want to. I just want to say, working with an incoherent old white guy like Chris Matthews has prepared me to cover an election where two incoherent old white guys compete for the opportunity to run against an even more incoherent old white guy. Uh, I'm gonna miss Chris. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
What started as the most diverse field of presidential candidates in American history is ending with a choice between two really old white guys. Here to explain the great white whittling is former presidential candidate and throaty voice of justice, Senator Kamala Harris. There was a little girl, and that little girl, who was bused to school every day, grew up to run for president. And that little girl was me. Wow, what a great story. I like Kimele. There was a woman who told a story about a little girl. And that story about that little girl catapulted that woman ahead in the polls until that woman tried to walk back an overreaching statement. Ooh, I don't know if I can trust Kamulu. There was a black woman, and that black woman was labeled as a flip-flopper because what for a white man is nuanced subtlety is for a black woman a flip-flop. And that flip-flopper was me. When I was growing up as the poor son of immigrants, my abuela used There to was say, a Mexican, and that Mexican phrased every point he made in every debate in the form of a story about his abuela. And that Mexican was Julian Castro. I don't know who that Latino guy is, but he's really good. Like, he has the same basic positions as Biden. But he's better at articulating those positions because he's more energetic, coherent, he has a charming personal touch. As the poor child of hardworking immigrants, my abuela taught me that telling stories about being a poor child of immigrants in perfect, unaccented English, but using the word abuela is just the right amount of Mexican to come across as authentic, but assimilated. I could totally see myself voting for this Latino guy. But you didn't. No, not because he's Latino, but because I wouldn't have a problem with the Mexican president, but th there's a lot of racism, and I don't know if America's ready for... There were some Democrats, and those Democrats were white. And those Democrats pretended that they couldn't support a candidate of color. Not because they themselves couldn't support a candidate of color, but because they had a vague notion of other people who couldn't support a candidate of color. And those Democrats were projecting. Look, I, I just want to be Trump. Trump's the real racist. Like... In fact, there's so much racism because of Trump that we might not beat Trump if we nominate a person of color, which is wrong, but the only way to change it is to nominate a white guy who won't be racist so that we can defeat racism by playing into racism. I'm Mayor Pete. Take everything I just said about race and interchange it with homosexuality. Black people don't like me, and I suspect that has something to do with the fact that I'm gay. I really shouldn't have said that because saying that black people don't like me because I'm gay made black people not like me even more. I was Barack's vice president. There was an old white guy. And that old white guy has been standing uncomfortably close behind me this whole time smelling my hair. That's right. 
I call President Obama Barack because that's how close we are. Sometimes I even called him Barack Bakbo Bak Banana Fan of Fo Fan Feedfo Barack Barack. And that old white guy ran a terrible campaign for well over a year before he finally got his act together right before South Carolina. Berry Berry Bo Berry Banana Fan of Fo Fairy Fo Fairy Berry. And there were some Democrats. And those Democrats were willing to let that old white guy take a full year to get his old white guy act together. Despite turning on my black ass after a single misstatement. But it's Uncle Joe. The 1% controls 90% of the percent that should be distributed to the 99% who only control 10% of the percentage of which the 99% make up 99%. There was another old white guy. And that old white guy had policy positions similar to this black woman and old white woman. I've got a plan for that. And while the plans of the women were meticulously and skeptically scrutinized, how are you gonna pay for it? I've got a plan for that. My plan taxes individual wealth above $50 million at a rate of two cents on the dollar, which would generate enough revenue to wipe out student debt, pay But how are you gonna pay for it? Like, like I said, a 2% wealth tax is projected to create enough revenue to But how are you going to pay for it? But the other old white guy's entire plan is... A political revolution! That sounds doable. I know it makes some people a little uncomfortable when I say political revolution. But can you imagine how freaked out they'd be if a black person said it? Revolution! Oh my god, it's an uprising! Please don't kill me! I have black friends. There was a political party, and that political party fancied itself as enlightened. But that political party whittled down the most diverse field of presidential candidates into the two worst choices, both whom just happened to be old, white men. Let's face it. If I had a penis, I would have secured the nomination by now. We shall overcome someday. Sometimes I even called him Barack Bok Bo Bok Banana Fo Fi Fo Dome Ba Fuck Barack. Thank you for listening to Barely Audible, Whisper, made possible by the following people. Writer, co-host, and producer Dave Baldwin. Co-host Molly Brown. Writer and actor Daniel Carter Brown. Actors Michael Morgan, Tommy Strock, Ali Glonick, and Corey Burns. Please follow us on your social media and subscribe to us and tell all your friends how great we are. We appreciate your support. A penis. Put your, a penis. Put your dick away, woman. That's all I needed. I didn't have a plan for a penis. <laughs> Profits are the unpaid wages of the working class. <laughs> Humorous! <laughs>